there. Welcome to the Herbcast, the podcast from Herbal Reality, delving into the palm-powered world of herbalism. So do you know your echinacea from your eleutherococcus or your polyphenol from your polysaccharides? Whether you're a budding herbalist, an inquisitive health professional, or a botanical beginner, Herbcast is here to inform and inspire you on your journey to integrating herbs in our everyday lives. So settle down, turn us up, and let's start today's episode of the Herbal Reality Herbcast. So I'm here with Helen Kearney from uh, Botanica School of Herbal Medicine, and it's great to be with you, Helen. Hi, Sebastian. Thanks for inviting me. So obviously you're a a herbalist and a a teacher and Mm -hmm. a herb grower. And so really mm-hmm. looking forward to our conversation today about, um, yeah, about the journey to becoming a herbalist. Um, yeah, which is a great topic. It is a really good topic. Um, well, since you asked me to come and talk about that, I've been reflecting about my journey and how it started, but also the fact that Botanica gets lots of applications where people mention that childhood moment or connection to herbs Mm. and that's exactly what it was for me my grandmother had a lovely garden i grew up in the middle of plymouth and she had a little garden a place called stoke in plymouth and my earliest memories are of being in the garden with my gran and looking at different plants not necessarily herbs but being given the first tomato as a special Mm. treat smelling roses spending time in the garden and and that's what um became my lifelong interest really Mm, interesting so you had a really early introduction and did your did Mm. your um, family use herbs as part of their medicine or was just no just nature and being connected outside growing some veg they were yeah uh, and they were there was an interest in food and cooking and i think if you are a, a you know like eating and cooking you will go out and you will pick blackberries when it's blackberry time and you'll have different things at different times of year that you will do so we had even though we lived in a city we had a natural you know seasonal based activities that we'd always do and um, then as I grew up and had children that was the next big influencer was you've got a baby the baby's got nappy rash what are you going to do and somebody said oh you want to try calendula cream and then I was ah okay that's great that really works Mm. and and just wanting to know more from there really how interesting yeah calendula is a gateway herb isn't it I think for many people into the world of natural healing um, because it's such a uh, a wonderful soothing balm Um, that's a you know it's really interesting hearing how, even though you lived in a city, you know, being connected with the natural cycles was something that took you to being a herbalist. And I think that a big part of herbalism is following those natural rhythms and everything, isn't it? And it's sort of inherent in the practice. Yeah, yeah. And how much diversity there is within a city. So we used to go on a walk round some old land and past some allotments and we used to find all sorts of different things and we used to go for walks um, along the railway and looking at all the things that were growing there and no we didn't use herbal medicine but that connection to plants was there and my gran used to grow calendula but she grew them because they were easy to grow and they filled up a space and they were quite cheap you know inexpensive Mm. and it's the 
learning from her about the growing side of things but then as I've trained to be a herbalist and looked at history in a different way that post-war generation got the NHS and so things were very different for them because the bad old days were gone you didn't have to pay for the doctor anymore mm. so they embraced modern medicine wholeheartedly and that's where I think we lost a lot of our herbal medicine heritage because they would talk about their great uncle who used to make this and make that but they couldn't remember what that was mm. they, you know they they were with the modern world and plants were for gardens the doctor was for medicine interesting and of course you know antibiotics and some early anti-inflammatories mm. had recently been invented hadn't they and and worked that some of their magic uh, at that time yeah and so of course people became more enthralled and let go of some of the old traditions yeah definitely um but interestingly my Gran had grown up on a small holding in Cornwall, in St Dominic, which is part of the Tamar Valley and it's got a sheltered microclimate. And their mum moved them from Plymouth to St Dominic to raise them all on a small holding. There were five children. So the earliest memories of my gran and my great auntie Dot, my grand sister, were all about being outside and what you could grow, what you could cook, what you could eat. So it was, even though we were in the city, I felt like I sort of grew up in the countryside, mm. which was amazing. So how did you um, end up running Botanica and, and leading that? And, and tell us a bit about the, the herbal educational world. Yeah. Okay, so um, ending up co-running Botanica is a happy accident. <laughs> um, but my journey to training is I had three children and we found local herbalists to us and we would use them to help support our health and I made a few things. I did a permaculture design course which really changed my way of thinking about the world and I became a teacher of permaculture design. And knowing herbalists, I thought, wow, they're incredible. They've got so much knowledge. I'm never going to be able to afford or have enough time to become a, a herbalist. And then when my youngest was two, I found that there was a blended learning course at the University of East London. And I got accepted on their programme if I did a human biology A-level. So I did that in a year and then went to uni and spent five years travelling up and down to London juggling different jobs. I was a forest schooler and I worked at an outdoor education centre, mm. still a real interest in permaculture and eventually graduated. And that's 10 years ago this June. It was the year of the Olympics. So it, it felt like lots was going on in London. Things were happening. And I still remember that first day as being a qualified herbalist and it felt like my whole world had changed because it's so rigorous you know it's such a long period of time it's very in-depth it's 500 hours in clinic but I'd done it and I was just really excited about going into practice oh. and I've been yeah. such a good moment isn't it um, to get over that yeah uh, that uh, incredible yeah. milestone well you tell us a bit about what you had to do to become a herbalist and and maybe yeah, just ex expand the depth that you have to go to to qualify. So um, I studied for a BSc because there was quite a few universities that offered the BSc programme at that time. Um, it was three years full time, but I did it part time over five years. 
and you have to study lots of different subjects, anatomy, physiology, pathology, botany, phyto and biochemistry, as well as all of the practical clinical skills. And I was really interested, I'd always kept a regular first aid qualification up to date. So I was really interested in going and doing some festival first aid with the medical herbalists. So as a student, I went and attended the Big Green Gathering and spent time on the first aid station. And I just absolutely loved it. So you're a first aider as well as a herbal student and you can treat people with herbs. And what were you treating? What uh, what comes in the door at a festi? Um, everything and anything. It could be things from wasp stings mm. to, to hay fever. The annoying things that you can do a lot about really quickly, which is acute herbal medicine, which is brilliant. And then there'll be really serious things like accidents and people that need to go to hospital. Mm. And, and you're there to provide the first aid till the ambulance arrives. So it's really interesting. Um, lots going on. And that was part of my 500 hours of clinical training interesting so really acute basically you're you're it's sort of herbal yeah. a and e in a way it's sort of the the best that can be yeah. offered at yeah. a festival yeah. um interesting and what and is there a difference when you're treating acute things in a sense that you're using different i don't know doses or different yeah. herbs that you might not use so much yeah 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 there's um for example the hay fever mix it contains ephedra so it's one of our Schedule 20 restricted mm-hmm. herbs, but it can provide almost instantaneous relief from symptoms. Mm-hmm. So I think herbal first aid is a great way to convert people to the power of herbs mm-hmm. because they start to feel better quite quickly and they don't expect to a lot of the time. So Dej, who's led a lot of the herbal first aid, has, I think, influenced so many people to either train as herbalists or realise that herbal medicine is a great viable alternative. You're right, we often think of it for chronic, difficult-to-treat problems, Mm -hmm. which is perhaps what people see in clinic a bit more often, but actually some of Mm -hmm. the instant effects our bodies can have when when taking a herb at the right dose in the right way can be be immediate. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Interesting. So you did that quite. A, you did that quite a few times and got interested in acute medicine. Yeah, and I went on and I volunteered with the ambulance service as a first responder. So I was um, doing shifts with them, where you respond to a call when the ambulance is on the way, but you get there first and you provide the regular first aid. Mm-hmm. So I did that in my community because I lived in quite a rural community. I was still carrying on with my herbal medicine training. And then when I graduated, a couple of years afterwards, we um, moved to a small holding near Wellington in Somerset. And that's where somebody that I trained with, Laura Carpenter, lived. And she'd always had an idea to set up a herbal medicine training programme because the university courses were shutting due to the raise in fees. And she said, well, I don't know if it's going to work or not if people will want to do it. And I said, well, the best thing I think is to advertise the programme and see if you get any applicants. And that's what she did. And that's how Botonica started. And when was that? That's in... uh... So it it was established in September 2016. 2016, right. So lots of university courses, things like that. There was much less availability Mm -hmm. for a while in the UK. And Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was Laura's thought process that got Botonica off the ground she wrote the course materials got the teachers together 
and then Botonica became a community interest company so it could broaden the scope of what it offered it's a not-for-profit so that means any money will go back into herbal education it's a really good structure it increased the amount of places each year and we've had two successful lots of graduates since we've begun the program it's a four-year training program and the third lot of graduates will be taking their final clinical exam in June and I think the final clinical exam is it's the pinnacle of your training and it's about an hour's exam you always have two herbalists there and a GP and you will meet a patient that you haven't met before you have to take a full case history physically examine the patient write a diagnosis write a prescription and not miss any red flags and it's a pass or fail so it's like taking your driving test it's you know it's a really big event but it's it shows how rigorous our training is and how competent we are as practitioners when we've passed that i think mm. i mean it's the you know the practice of medicine itself is so deep isn't it and then within the use of plants because of the variable phytochemistry and the the um number of plants that are used in in clinic it is a it is a vast course isn't it it really needs that dedication and you said it took you five years but i'm i'm sure you feel like you've uh, carried on studying ever since absolutely that's the joy of being a herbalist is you're never going to stop learning there's always something new to learn herbalists are really interesting people so when we get together you you know that you're going to have an interesting time I'm looking forward to the NIM event in July, which is called The Power of Plants, which will be a face-to-face -face event in Buckinghamshire. And I'm going to be there doing some herb walks with Kim Walker, who's head of Botanica's Year One. She's brilliant. Mm. And just getting back in the field again, which is going to be great. Mm. Well, that's going to be great to gather together. And you know, is it different today than how you studied? Are there some differences in the course at uh, Botanica? I don't know. Is there more of an emphasis in certain areas around different pathologies or sustainability or, or I don't know? Um, no, that's a, that's a good question. I think pathologies, the obvious one is COVID yeah. and what the pandemic brought. Uh, people have had a lot more opportunity to think about what matters to them and address health issues that might have just been niggles that they've decided to mm. get proper treatment for and try and understand more sustainability it was hardly touched on when i trained you know and we we talked about brown bottle herbalists mm. so that a student could go through their entire training and not recognize a dandelion whereas now we're talking about where do the plants come from how are they grown um, different alternatives to things that we know are endangered in the wild so that's really pleasing and one of botanica's um, slogans is from field to dispensary so we aim that all students know how to grow or recognize plants that they can then harvest themselves to make their own medicines I love making my own medicine and it's I think it's a really important part of being a herbalist mm. interesting I, I completely agree it is um, very personal experience isn't it growing something from a seed uh, then seeing it flourish and then turning into something that then can help transform or contribute to transforming someone's health. Um, so that's super detailed. So you're teaching them how to do the, you know, agricultural and botanical side as well as the, obviously the therapeutic side. And um, 
And are you noticing a difference in students these days? Is there a different change, you think, in terms of people's focus and what they want? Or, or, or is it just that herbalists in general are attracted by a, a, you know, a natural and holistic approach? I think the, the big change was last year when people were in lockdown and they thought, what do I really want to do with my life? Mm. And if they'd had a little bit of an idea before, they were going for it. So lockdown decisions, I think they're being called. Right. So they, they've decided, you know, like everybody started moving house, didn't they? Because yeah. they realised that life wasn't going to be the same. What did they actually want to do? Um, but there's just a really, really big interest and growing interest in health, herbal medicine, different growing te- techniques and the natural world, which is is brilliant that's that's just really good mm. and you, you know you, you've got this course that really offers this in-depth journey from um you know not knowing anything particularly necessarily about the practice of clinical herbalism through to clinical practice and i i yep. know that you um have have run or involved with community clinics and this idea mm-hmm. of um serving the community more through herbalism i'd love to hear your take on that and how you service that from Botanica. So the requirement of the 500 hours is is um, part of what you need to do to qualify to be a herbalist. Botanica offers a weekly clinic that students can attend and that's either online or face to face. And that um, is the community clinic where all the consultations and the medicines are subsidised because it's a student training clinic. So we advertise in our local community. Today, I think we've finally got round to getting an automatic booking system so patients can just book themselves in, which is great. So we're going to do a lot more advertising for the clinic Mm -hmm. because being online, you don't have to be geographically local anymore. So sometimes you will have to refer a patient back to their GP or a local herbalist because they need to be seen in person. But for a lot of what we do, we can conduct the consultation online and then we post medicines. And the training fees that the students pay help subsidise the medicines for the patients. And the last time we were in clinic, in a face-to-face clinic, I've got a friend who's got a friend who's just fled Ukraine, is now living in Poland as a refugee. And she said, I don't really think you're going to be able to do anything, but can herbs help with her mental and nervous state Mm. at the moment? And I was like, well, of course they can. You know, herbs can always help. One way or another, they can help. And I said, what we need to safely treat is her age. Does she take any medicines? Is she allergic to anything? Mm. And then we put together a simple prescription And that was posted to her and we wrote a note as well and said if she wanted to have an online appointment and discuss anything further, she'd be very welcome. So I felt happy that we were able to do that Mm. because, um, of course, herbs are going to be able to help if somebody's shocked, upset, not sleeping well, Mm. all of those things. So good for that. Um, Right. I mean, obviously, it's an acute time, isn't it, on Mm -hmm. across Europe and the refugee front? Am I right that you, did you work with the Herbalists Without Borders before or was it in the Calais camps you went to support? So my very good friend Catherine Johnson spent a lot of time in Calais and encouraged by her courage 
and links that she made with the regular medics there. I went to Calais with Laura Carpenter and that really was the start of discussing Botonica and whether it would work or not mm-hmm. because we had to drive all the way to Dover and all the way back again. It's a long way from Devon. So I only spent three days there, but I'm really glad I went because you cannot describe what it was like. That was when the jungle was still there. And I wholeheartedly support the work of Herbalists Without Borders and they're doing sterling work and going out and treating hundreds of people. Mm. Well, there's a there's a need for that. You know, it feels across the herbal community, um, a, a feeling of the need for service, whether that is towards uh, the environment and where our plants come from or towards one's local community or or more generally towards the, the wellspring of society. So I've you know, always been moved by those actions as well. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot of pressure in the health system at the minute, isn't there? Um, with access to medics and um, the financial pressures that we're all under at the minute and um, the fact that herbalism is also private as well or, or has to be paid for. There's always that tension, isn't there, in our in our practice? And uh, I'm sure you do some things to make... Uh, herbalism accessible to to people yeah. on um, different levels of income. So it'd be interesting to hear about that as part of that community work you do. Um, so herbal medicine is the people's medicine because it's how we are still alive now because we've evolved with plants. And what I really like to do is give talks to anybody that will listen to me, <laughs> but especially garden clubs and WIs. They're always looking for speakers. So I offer a few different talks. I turn up, I always take a fresh basket of herbs, whatever's growing, whatever time of year. And then I do what I call a virtual herb walk. So I pass the plants round, see if anybody recognises them and talk about what they might use them for and what I would use them for. And you will get so many different answers. You'll get memories triggered from when they were younger or what their grandparents or parents did. And that's what I think we need to be doing as herbalists is going out and talking about the herbs because they can't talk for themselves. We have to talk about them. And then from that, I will um, run a home herbalist face-to-face course so people can come and learn how to make simple remedies to treat friends and family. Because that's the, the best thing that you can do for a patient is teach them how to treat themselves. Mm-hmm. And at the end of a WI or a garden club talk, if one person goes away and starts to drink nettle tea, that's a result, I think. You know, with that focus on what might be changing in in herbalism, I was was wondering about the idea of energetics in the context of our interest in science and... um, phytochemistry and I was wondering how much of that you teach on the course and how much that comes up as an interest from people and you know what's the how how do we blend those two worlds together um botonica is incredibly lucky because it has helen moore an excellent chemist and herbalist who teaches the chemistry Mm -hmm. component of the program which runs across year one two and three so that's linking 
the latest research on phytochemicals that have been found in plants and their potential actions, as well as looking at biochemistry and the building blocks of, of life. And I think it's interesting going back to talks at WIs and garden clubs, there will usually be a medic in the audience. Mm -hmm. And you will know that there is one there because of the awkward question they think they're asking. Because they think herbalism is waving daisies around still, but it's firmly rooted in science as well as tradition. So I really enjoy those questions because if we can talk about the plants and the active phytochemicals and link them to actions within um, cells, organs, tissue states, then we can help bridge that gap between, you know, tree hugging hmm. woolly people on that side and pure science on that side because we're not we're we we are both and we should be able to have conversations with anybody and i think as students you know talking to the botanica students and herbal medicine students being able to talk to anybody is really important I did a workshop years ago at the Findhorn Foundation and they talked about the perceived weirdness factor. And if you had a high PWF, nobody was going to listen to you, no matter how interesting your talk was. So you need to meet people where they're at and going to give talks to anybody that will have you. Usually you will get paid. So it's a win-win. You'll get paid for doing the talk. And people will get to know you as well. And as a practicing herbalist, that's how you get patients. Patients will come and see people that they know. Mm, mm. So you, you spending money on advertising. I've never put adverts anywhere, but I've stood in a health food shop once a week when I first graduated for a morning on the same day every week. And I gave out herb tea and people could talk to me. It, you know, the, a lot, a lot of being a herbalist is the conversation, isn't it? There's the, uh, a lot of it is the listening and the value of, of paying attention to your clients and listening to nature and the seasons around, and and a lot of it is communication. I think, you know, what you said was really interesting. That, um, you know, science and herbalism are a study of nature. They're the, they're the same thing in a way, aren't they? They've just got maybe a different way of looking at the mountain or or, or the or the or the detail. Um, but I love that fact that you make potentially something uh, a bit inaccessible so accessible to your students over time, you know, as well as the very practical agricultural and um, medical uh, side of things. There's also this ability to uh, describe nature in a way that you can meet any other practitioner in a way, because herbalism, obviously, we're both super fans of it and, and believe in it a lot. Um, but there's something about working with other professional modalities as well, isn't there? There are, there are other needs in terms of, of healing and breadth. Um, and is that something you get to at the, towards the, maybe the end of one's training or, or how one integrates with other practices? Or is that something you get through later clinical experience? Well, I was really lucky when I was training in London, Whips Cross um, Dermatology Department employed Alex Laird and I did as many days as I could there mm. because you spent the morning with Alex and the afternoon in with the nurse practitioner, the consultant. And so you learnt so much. Uh, Botanica students can do a day there as well when they want. And we have a local GP practice in Columpton 
Simon Mills designed the herb garden there so it's got a really sweet little herb garden and it's a centre for integrated health and the GP there Dr Michael Dixon he allowed Botonica students to come and sit in with him for a day mm. so it's that um, you can learn from the doctor and the doctor's going to be able to ask you questions as well so there's going to be a little bit of cross-pollination and I encourage students to, if they can, spend days with regular medics, you know, and, and don't demand and say, you know, I'm a herbal medicine student, I'd like to get, you know, try and woo them a little bit and say, you know, I can come and I'll sit and I'll, you know, I might do the dishes or make cups of tea, whatever it takes, because they're really busy and overstretched at the moment. But it's, you won't understand what they are going through or what the, the system is unless you've spent a day with them somehow. So mm, all mm. Botonica students are encouraged to spend a day in primary care. And there are some herbalists that do practice within the NHS. There's not that many, but I'd really like to go up to Westerhales in Scotland and look at their community clinics because I know they've got really in good integration with the GPs there. I think, you know, more and more uh, medics, healthcare professionals are, are, you know, are opening up their eyes as the, as some of the evidence and the, the language and the, you know, understanding of the benefit of plants opens up. Um, oh, I'd love to hear a bit more about what happens at, at Whips Cross and um, you're treating a range of dermatological eczema, psoriasis, rosacea, all of those things, are you, I assume? And um, maybe give us an example or something like that. What would you, what would you have done with someone? Uh, so Alex ran the clinic, Alex Laird, and um, she would have, I can't remember how many patients in the space of a morning, a lot. And they would always get dietary advice as well as a herbal formula and sometimes a topical cream or lotion. Uh, psoriasis, for example, lots of people that have psoriasis are um, really struggling with the effects of how they look and how it feels. And what was amazing, the consultant in the afternoon, he had a policy of never using gloves when he examined a patient mm. because he said they felt a lot of the time that they were ostracised from their friends and family. So he would use his hands to examine them and then you just wash your hands and follow hygiene practices afterwards. Uh, this morning I've had to make up a prescription for a patient and I've pulled out my notes from Whips Cross and I've used exactly <laughs> the same psoriasis cream formula to treat the patient that I've seen with psoriasis this morning because there's those fundamental principles and the herbs that that work, that I've seen work and psoriasis is one of those conditions that responds mm. really well to herbal medicine. What do you, you know, can you share your uh, formula with us, Ellen, there in that case? What would you use just as an example? So I'd, I add in things like licorice, um, Oregon grape, berberis aquifolium, a little bit of echinacea, depending on whether the psoriasis is hot, itchy, spreading. I might put chickweed in it as well, mm. just in a really lovely organic base and quite a loose cream so it can spread on really easily. But also something else I learned was bicarbonate of soda quite a strong infusion of that just dabbed on around the psoriasis and on it can stop it itching as well so sometimes it's a really simple thing what do your students find really difficult do you think you know obviously there's lots of inspiration when you're on the training to be a herbalist isn't there and it's a great time i mean obviously it can feel a bit overwhelming <laughs> um but is there is there areas 
But, you know, it's obviously different for each individual, but I was wondering, is there some particular areas that are the hardest? Um, I think what we found generally is people have the passion and the interest to train to be a herbalist, but they don't quite fully comprehend how rigorous the training is. So when we interview prospective new students, we me, they have a question about have you considered your life, family, social commitments at the moment and how you're going to fit it all in? And especially in year two, which is the first clinical year, how do you manage a full time course and doing your clinical hours, all the assignments across all those different subjects? So it sort of feels like it's not about herbal medicine sometimes and it's more about pure science you know chemistry all of those subjects but by the time you get to year three it all comes back round again and it's you know you're, you're doing more clinical hours and it starts to make sense so the, the hardest thing is just sticking in there sometimes and and um, believing that it will get easier and start to make sense How are you? How are you feeling about the future of herbalism? Quite a big, broad-ended question, really. But uh, how, how are you feeling? The direction of things is going. Um, I'm really encouraged. I mean, since I've started helping with botanica, and you know the new things that have happened, the herbal unity, the herbal reality, getting together. You know, I'm part of regular meetings with other herbalists now where we're looking at training across all the different schools, how we can work together. That's that's really good because the way forward is more cooperation. It's a permaculture principle, cooperation, not competition. So I'm, I, I am an optimist, but we've got lots of people that want to train We've got an opportunity, you know, the pandemic has made people realise that health is more than just the absence of disease. And we, you know, we've got really good people involved in the herbal world and we've started to talk to each other and that's a great thing. Mm. Yeah, I love what you say about cooperation and I know you and um, Botanica and quite a few of the other herbal schools uh, around the UK have been getting together to talk with the with the herbal alliance and it sounds like that's just so fruitful to help share ideas and you know just as it's important as a group of students to learn together so as a, a group of educators in a way isn't it I'm, I'm sure it must be super valuable well, i'm very really keen on the fact that the word a doctor means you know to be a teacher and i and i often think that uh well so many herbalists I've met are just fantastic teachers as well and the ability to articulate the breadth and depth of herbalism but in a way that's you know uh, punctuated with stories basically and colour and life is one of the things that really brings it alive and I love hearing your story Helen and all that you're doing it's really super inspiring I mean you know teaching the future generation of herbalists uh, is a is a fantastic thing and I, I'm glad you've got such a good team that you're a part of and working as a cooperative to to help that grow in the future. Yeah, yeah. There, I work with a brilliant group of herbalists and I'm very, very lucky. 
and it's the best it's the hardest thing I've ever done but it's the best thing I've ever done and I was just thinking about Christopher Headley then hmm. because when I trained we hardly tasted any herbs at all it wasn't that sort of training but when I attended an event Christopher did a blind tea tasting in that special way and when I did that I was like wow this is incredible so we do lots and lots of tea tastings in that way the blind tea tastings in the home herbalist course when we run summer school through all the different years at Botanica because it's a, a fantastic way to learn mm. and I don't feel I'm teaching anybody I'm just facilitating people's learning and that's what I like doing, hanging out with the herbs, mm. hanging out with the people. Oh, that's brilliant. Well, you know, thank you for everything you do. It sounds like you're giving your students a chance to really, yeah, wake up their senses and uh, experience some of the colour and diversity in life. So, um, yeah, I love chatting, Helen. Thank you. You've been listening to The Herbcast, the podcast from Herbal Reality. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If so, perhaps you'd like to leave us a rating. That would really help us to spread our message for herbal health. We hope you'll join us again for the next episode. And in the meantime, if you'd like a few more herbal insights from us, do have a look at herbalreality.com. Or learn more from us via Instagram, where we're at herbal.reality. And we're on Twitter and Facebook too. We'll be back with another episode of The Herbcast soon. Thanks for joining.